0: one of my favorite Easter songs. This is my father's world. I want to start this morning by standing up on the uh, extended platform. Uh, Boy, I feel really tall, Susie. This is good because I don't often feel very tall. Um, You may wonder why is this platform built at this time of the year rather than back in December. And it's because we're anticipating a youth uh, musical uh, coming up here. The information is in your bulletin about it. And uh, uh, Jennifer Gilmer has been working really hard with our youth uh, singers and actors and preparing them for an opportunity to uh, share with you. It's on a Saturday evening. So we're hopeful that you might uh, uh, make the time uh, to come and support our youth ministry and support the youth that are part of this. Um, While I'm here, I thought I would share a story with you, one of my favorite stories. Uh, It's by a very well-known person. He died just a few years ago, a couple years ago. His name's Chuck Colson. And uh, Chuck Colson was well-known in a lot of different realms. Uh, He uh, worked in the uh, administration of President uh, Nixon back in the 70s. And uh, he, of course, was the first person uh, who was... um, uh, sentenced in uh, conjunction with the Watergate um, scandal and issues that uh, that flowed from that, and in the early seventies, he went to prison. He had just become a, a Christian believer. Uh, he had accepted Jesus into his life, and uh, as he went to spend about seven months of his uh, three-year sentence in a prison in Alabama, uh, he came out of that seven-year imprisonment, and one of the great things that he became known for in Christian circles, he he became a a speaker and uh, he would talk about issues of um, uh, politics, he would talk about issues of uh, serving in different ways. But one of the things that he became uh, quite known for was uh, an organization called Prison Fellowship and prison fellowship is a ministry that goes into prisons and uh, helps encourage inmates to uh, also, like Colson had done, to give their life to Jesus and to see the presence of Christ in an individual life and to see the difference in the transformation, the real change that that. Uh, brings about in a life of a heart that's truly repentant, a heart that really recognizes his or her sin, that issue which separates us from God, and repenting from that sin, then walking with Christ and watching new fruit, new uh, resources, and new uh, outflow of your life. That, that's the story of Chuck Colson. It isn't just a testimony of transformation. It it's. Partly, a life who was repentant of his past lifestyle and sin and behavior. And out of that repentance then came this new and wonderful fruit that flowed. Because of his experience in prison, now he began a ministry to also go back into prisons and to minister to those who are incarcerated. And so it's repentance that's joined with fruitful living. And that really does open up our passage this morning. We're going to look together at Luke chapter 3, the Gospel of Luke chapter 3. And we're going to look and describe and talk about for a few moments together the critical issue of repentance. Of repentance. Repentance is a word when uh, sometimes, uh, you know, there's, there's a handful of cluster of of really pregnant theological terms and sometimes in our day today we don't talk a lot about uh, big ideas of big words uh, in regular settings words like justification or sanctification but words that are so rich in meaning and help us understand so much clearly more clearly uh, what the Christian faith is. Repentance is one of the words that, as we're preparing people for baptism, it's one of the words I love to settle in and talk about, is the joy, it, this is the human side of what God is doing in an individual's life. It is the human response of recognizing uh, what, uh, who we are in the way God explains and describes us, and then recognizing the beauty and wonder of God. And so we're going to talk about that for a moment. But let's read first. Uh, Thought it was appropriate right after the Christmas season to hear what Luke says right after his uh, presentation of Jesus and the Christmas story. Uh, We see uh, in chapter 2, we're not going to look at it today, but Luke goes straight from the the Christmas story to 1. One story about Jesus as a 12-year-old boy and when he's back in the temple teaching and people are amazed at at the depth of insight he had even as a 12-year-old and then Luke transitions a little bit or quite significantly into the adult life of Jesus. Luke has spent some time, if you're to read the first couple of chapters, he spent quite a bit of time describing also not just the birth of Jesus, but also the birth of a man named John the Baptist and how they both came about differently, but quite miraculously. And uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, both in their old age, uh, were uh, able to conceive, and John the Baptist comes. And so Luke is clarifying the ministry now of John the Baptist, And how his ministry, as important as it was, pales in comparison to the ministry of Jesus. But what was the ministry of John the Baptist? I'm glad that you asked. Let's read about what his ministry consisted of. Chapter 3 of the Gospel of Luke. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, uh, just by way of note, uh, this is the emperor who followed Caesar Caesar. Augustus, Octavian. Octavian's the one who ordered the census and brought uh, Mary and Joseph from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. Uh, And now Tiberius is now uh, the Caesar, the emperor of Rome. So in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iteria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, those are tough ones to say, uh, Tetrarch of Abilene, um, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. Verse 3, He, John, went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it, is, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for Him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways become smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. So he's describing his own ministry here to a... Jewish audience and many Jewish people of the day understood this passage from the the Old Testament book of Isaiah as part of what God would be doing at the very end of all things. That God would be preparing to send in his final special uh, instrument of restoration for people, the Messiah. And so Jewish people, as John the Baptist would would give out this statement and declaration of what his ministry is and the role that he was to fulfill, their ears would be tuned in. Now here it gets interesting. John was a bit of a lightning rod. John had no problem just kind of calling a spade a spade and is very forceful with his preaching. And uh, you'll see, it almost sounds... um, Well, we're going to talk about it. Verse 7. John said to the crowds, coming out to be baptized by him... You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 10. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than what you're required to, he told them. Verse 14, then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't, ex- don't accuse people falsely. Be content... With your pay. So we're going to pause right there because that's really all the time that we have this morning and a lot to think through. But repentance. Repentance is the idea. What does it mean to repent? Um, I remember growing up and seeing signs. People would carry sometimes big, like sandwich board signs, and on them would be plastered the word in big capital letters with an exclamation point at the end, and it would be, Repent! Right? Uh, you've seen people like that, probably. I grew up in an area that was pretty hot uh, evangelistically, and a lot of religious fervor. And it was really interesting um, to see what was that, what was what was it that made people passionate about uh, their their relating to God, and um, you know their communication techniques. Uh, uh, it's debatable how uh, al- effective or, or good that might be, but repentance, repentance is a word I don't think we talk about a whole lot anymore. Uh, certainly has been a word that's been so rich and valuable in the history of the church. And it's a word that um, is, is so f- fresh and pregnant with meaning. To repent is more than simply changing your opinion about something. Okay, Changing your opinion about something, that, that's easy and that happens all the time. We Sometimes we might change our opinion. I, I could stand up and say, you know what? I've changed my opinion. Johnny Cash is the greatest musician of all time. Right? I, I might change an opinion about something. Or the San Francisco 49ers football team, they've now fired their uh, general manager and their head coach, and finally, I've changed my opinion. The 49ers are finally now going to get their act together and start winning football games, right? Changing opinion, we can do that on a lot of things for a lot of good reasons, for a lot of issues that maybe aren't all that important, right? But that's not what repentance is. When the Bible describes repentance, even though the word, the Greek word, literally means a change of mind, it's not only a change of opinion about issues that you know, perhaps are inconsequential. Repentance is so much deeper than that. Repentance touches the core of your personhood. Repentance is what reaches down to the very depths of your heart and soul and begins to to stir in those areas. Repentance sets an entirely new life direction. Repentance provides one with new values, with new loves in your life, Things you didn't care about perhaps now become greatly important to you. Repentance leads to a new relationship with Jesus. Uh, one great theologian, Millard Erickson, describes repentance very simply. He says, repentance is godly sorrow for one's sin together with a resolution to turn from it. Godly sorrow for one's sin together with a resolution to to turn from it. That's the reason I started with the Chuck Colson story, because I think in Chuck Colson, even though that's a, a, he's a very prominent person in history um, and a very a prominent person during his lifetime in his own ministry, uh, he is one that certainly is indicative of one who has come to an understanding of his personal sin and how it separates him from God, and he is repent, he repented from it But it wasn't just the repentance and that that moment of new relationship salvation. It wasn't just for that. It's that God, out of that repentance, his life then, as he engages in the prison ministry, and his ongoing ministry for decades after was one that uh, be described just as John the Baptist would describe one, who is uh, producing fruit. In keeping with repentance. In other words, the outflow of your life now demonstrates what God has already done on the inside of your life, what God has already done at the very depth and core of your life. There's a new direction, there are new values, new things begin to emerge as important. What are those things? Well, they're the things that are important to God. What matters to God now matters to the person who has a repentant heart. What God loves now becomes that which the repentant person begins to love. What God turns away from and cautions us against now become things for the repentant heart that we turn away from and we choose not to pick up for uh, the danger that is there and the destructive quality it might hold. Godly sorrow for one's sin together with a resolution to turn from it. John the Baptist is preaching... Repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So if you haven't caught the idea this morning is that repentance is an essential quality, an essential element to life with God and to actually having meaningful discipleship. Meaningful discipleship will never occur if repentance doesn't occur because you're not really a disciple if true repentance hasn't already happened deep in your heart. Repentance in the Bible isn't just something John the Baptist described. Jesus himself, at the beginning of his ministry in Matthew chapter 4, it describes Jesus like this. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. This is what he preached. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, is marked with the same message of repentance calling people to repentance at the end of Jesus' ministry in life. Luke chapter 24, it says this, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Peter, in the book of Acts, describes repentance. You probably remember what Peter did. He was the one who failed miserably, right? He's the one who denied Jesus. When Jesus was arrested and led away, Peter was the one who three different times said, You guys are crazy. I don't know this Jesus. Right? Peter just said, Jesus, I don't care. If my following you leads me to my own death, I will never abandon you. I will never forsake you. In, in just a few moments, three different times in the same evening, Peter says, I don't know Jesus. It's not me. I'm not one of his followers. I don't even know who you're talking about. But it's Peter then that Jesus comes and lovingly restores. And when the book of Acts opens, the history of the early church is what Acts is about. It's Peter who stands there in Jerusalem. Now restored, he was a repentant sinner, a, a repentant heart. And if you want to go back and do a study and an interesting, just a contrast between what is is a simple remorse versus real repentance, go back and look at the difference between the way Peter responded to the arrest of Jesus and the way Judas responded. You remember, Judas is the one who turned Jesus over to the authorities for 30 pieces of silver. And their, their, their stories end completely different. And I think the key in their stories, Judas. It says that he was really sad and sorry for what he had done. But it wasn't really repentance in Judas' heart and life. And so his, his life ends in suicide. But Peter, the Bible describes him as one who goes out and he weeps bitter tears. And it's a picture of one who is repentant for his life. It's a change of mind that touches the very depth and core of his being. It's a recognition of his sin and a resolution to turn away from that sin. So Jesus then comes to Peter, restores him, and it's Peter in the opening chapters of Acts who stands there talking to the very same people who had fought for Jesus' death. He says, even though you guys crucified Jesus, he still loves you. And even though your sin still separates from you from God, if you would repent from that sin, God will make a way for you to be right with Him. That's what repentance is. That's the importance of repentance. You see, apart from repentance, we cannot know the if, if fullness of God and discipleship is meaningless without repentance. Repentance is so critical for us. Without repentance, we cannot truly, we cannot... Truly know God without repentance. Without repentance, you're truly not with God. John in verse 7, he said to the crowds coming out to be baptized, He says, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Uh, Some commentators, and I agree with them, are pointing to the idea that John is saying, Do you trust merely in your religious rituals? and expect that to somehow bring you to God apart from repentance. John the Baptist is saying it's not ritual, a ri- religious ritual apart from repentance that God is pleased with. Religious ritual is meaningless apart from repentance. Who warns you? In other words, it wasn't me, John the Baptist is saying, it wasn't me who warned you to simply come and be baptized and through your baptism God will be pleased with you. He said, I didn't teach you that. That's not my message, because that's merely holding into, assuming and hoping that mere religious practice and ritual somehow will make me pleasable and acceptable to God. John the Baptist says, no, 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 no. Religious ritual alone, apart from repentance, is meaningless. If you're going to have your life with God, truly with God, it requires Repentance. Repentance is essential. And then he goes on. He says, produce fruit, verse 8, in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, well, hey, we have Abraham as our father. And then he, it's almost like he bends down and he picks up a rock. And he says, you know what, if God wanted, he could make this stone part of his family. So one thing he cautions against is religious ritual. I'm not going to rest only in religious ritual and think that God is pleased or will accept my life through that alone, apart from a repentant heart. And then he says, it's not about privileged birth. He's speaking to Jewish people, God's chosen people. And he says, to you... If you just simply assume just because you're born ethnically Jewish, that God somehow by that alone, is that makes you acceptable to God, he says that doesn't do it apart from repentance. He says even Jewish people or whatever your, your birth, no nobody is born with such money or influence or power or into such a family with such a long lineage of influence. It doesn't matter kings, princes, queens. It doesn't matter. You see, there is no privileged birth that somehow puts us in a right relationship with God. Repentance is always essential. Repentance is necessary. Godly sorrow for one's sin, together with a resolution to turn from it. So what is the result of repentance? The result is... uh, the question, what shall we do? And three different times, um, three different three different groups of people come and ask John the Baptist, what is it that we should do? That was the same question when Peter's preaching in the opening chapters of Acts. Uh, when he says, you know what? Repentance is here. God loves you. God wants you to know Him and love Him. A life with God is possible. And their question to Peter was, what shall we do? You know what his response was? Repent recognize your sin that we all have, recognize that that issue that separates you from God, admit it, acknowledge it, and then approach God with it and say, God, forgive me for this. That is repentance, and I'm making a choice to turn away from it so that I can turn and walk with God. So some crowds come and they say, "What, what should we do in verse 10? John says, well, it always... A truly repentant heart always demonstrates itself with the life that the person now leads. A life of growth in Christ, a life that takes on the ethical quality of God. You see, it's not just moralism. We could talk about and preach about moralism. Do good, right? Just quit quit being bad and be good now, right? But we don't start there. The gospel doesn't start there. The gospel starts with the, the person of Jesus <clears throat> our repentance heart and turning away from sin and turning to embrace the goodness of God. The crowds asked in verse 10, what should we do? Peter or John the Baptist says, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none and the one who has food should do the same. So there ought to be a compassion and an engagement of the poor. So that, that was what they should do. Verse 12, tax collectors... Right around some of the key areas, you'd have tax collectors on the roads. Kind of like, have you ever been to an area, I mean, when's the last time you went across the Golden Gate Bridge? We hardly think about it anymore because of the uh, the toll passes, but um, uh, we often we have to pay money often to go, well, you do. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, you pay money to cross the Golden Gate Bridge and gain entrance into San Francisco. Well, in the Roman world, there were tax collectors, there were toll collectors along the way. And when a caravan came through or merchants came through, they would collect their taxes. And part, they were employed by the Roman government. They were to take those taxes and pass them on up to their superiors, but the way they got paid then was to charge you extra. So if Steve came along with a stack of books and he wanted to sell them uh, down in Capernaum, if I were a tax collector, I'd say, all right, Steve, your books are worth... Let's say $10, taxes, I need my, my paycheck, so I'm going to charge you $15. I'm going to give 10 of it to Rome, and 5 of it's going to go in my pocket. That's how they work. So John the Baptist, these tax collectors come, and they say, what are we, what are we supposed to do? And he says, don't collect any more than what you're required to. And then some soldiers came. He says, what are we to do? And he says, don't extort money, and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The whole idea is that a truly repentant heart, that that reality is demonstrated now in the life that one lives. You see, it's not the life that we live that bring us brings us to God. It's just the opposite. It's an awareness and an acknowledgment that I am broken and I am so limited and my sin really impacts my ability to know and relate to God. It makes it impossible. And so we have to start with God forgiving me and when I understand that God loves me enough and wants to forgive me, and I meet that forgiveness, that desire, with my own repentant heart, then that's when salvation occurs. And then I'm ushered into a new life with Christ. This is taking a lot longer. I've got a whole another thing. I think I'm going to say that for next week. Um, because I want to talk to you about you are what you love. You know, we've heard the idea that we are what we eat, right? You eat good stuff, you become healthy. Uh, the same idea is that you you are what you love. If you love the right things, if you love the things God loves, then guess what? Your life is going to be on a course of goodness and health and rightness with God. I think we'll pick that up next week. You are what you love. Repentance. Repentance. As we open up 2017, my, my hope for today is simply this, that you and I would reflect... This is, for me, at least, is always a great opportunity to think about what has been and what is to come. Not, not in the sense of just simple resolutions for life, but just in reflecting upon the position of my heart and my life before God. And is my life one today that demonstrates fruitful living for God because of the repentant heart that I have met with the love that God has for me? Father, that is part of our prayer this morning, is that You would help us to see and to understand better this idea of repentance, that it wouldn't just be some confusing word or a word without meaning, or we might not look at it as something that's unimportant or extraneous to our our Christian life, but it is at the bedrock, in the very center of what it means to be a Christ follower. So we pray this morning that You would help shape that into our minds and our hearts that as we think about the year to come, that we would hold it, that we would look at it through the lens of repentance, and that we might ask You what it is that, that needs to be added to my life this year or removed from my life this year so that my life might be fruitful in the way that You desire it to be fruitful. So God, do Your work in us this day and always. We thank You for Your love that leads us to repentance. Your kindness, Lord that guides us to repentant place because You're not slow about Your wrath. You're not slow about Your judgment. You're patient. You're loving because You want to call all of us to repentance and to turn to You. May it be so this day. In Jesus' name, Amen.